Greetings. Jedi Master Yoda this is, or at least his voice. It's Tom Kane uh, here at the Great Philadelphia Comic Con, and you're listening to An Elegant Weapon. Listen, you will. Foreseen it, I have. Yes. An Elegant Weapon is brought to you by Nemesis Studios. An elegant weapon for the more civilized age. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to An Elegant Weapon, episode 201. My name is Jay, J.M. Clark, Jay the Jedi Ross. It's good to be back here with you again the L5J Studios. I hope you all enjoyed episode 200 live from Motor City Comic Con. Had a great time doing that. Uh, give it a listen if you didn't get a chance, because it was super good times live with uh, Mike Sapsic, Ming Chen... Jimmy McKnight and the Drunk on Comics boys, Tony and Derek. Good times and deeds. But now, this uh, this week, as we enter a new century, a new centurion, uh, we go backwards a little bit. We go back to our adventures at the Great Philadelphia Comic Con. This week, yet another Star Wars inductee into the guest list of an elegant weapon. A legend unto himself, Mr. Julian Glover. What a super cool opportunity to chat with this acting legend. We talked Star Wars. He, you would know him uh, from Empire Strikes Back. He was General Veers. He's the one general in Star Wars history, cinematic history, who actually won a battle at the Battle of Hoth. So he pulled that off. And you also might know him from Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade as he drank from the Holy Grail and aged quickly, rapidly, and disgustingly. And that was good times indeed, and his recent run on Game of Thrones. We talk about all this stuff and more. Stratford Festival, growing up, uh, acting in the theater. Uh, he gives us a little bit of insight on Sir Alec Guinness and uh, confirmation of his thoughts on Star Wars, which I'm sure you're all aware of. Uh, so here we go. A fantastic honor to sit down with the one and only, the acting legend of the thespian himself, Ladies and gentlemen, my chat with Mr. Julian Glover. Hello. Before we even start, um, I'm deaf, so um, I can't actually hear you, but not very well. So any questions might have to be uh, translated. Uh, so I understand that, and I might have to have your questions translated, uh, and I don't think you'll need to have my answers translated. No, no, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work that way, does it? Excellent. I believe we're all speaking English here today, yes? Hello, everybody. Welcome, Mr. Julian Glover. Everybody excited? And how are you? In that young lady there was the first to get my autograph yesterday evening. Wow. But, so and she's been back three times since. Oh. You're That's what I call a fan. That is a fan, indubitably. Everybody's fans here, I'm sure, though. With the work that you've done, how can we not all be fans, right? Uh, a heck of a legacy that you've had behind yourself, right? Well, yeah, I've done a lot of things. All right. Well, look at my face. <laughs> I've been around a long time. <laughs> at least it happened naturally, he says. <laughs> that is certainly true. We could quote some other people, couldn't we? Yes. 
<laughs> so how about then, uh, for now, we'll get into some questions. I'm sure you guys have some questions, but why don't you just tell us how it began for you, how your career began, how you became an actor? Okay, I'll do all that. Um, you got the rest of the evening, have you? <laughs> no. Um, okay, I'm a middle-class English boy, um, Scottish as well, uh, and my parents were journalists, uh, quite successful journalists, not serious... We're back on that boat. Yeah, sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> um, they were very good journalists and uh, very bright people, and um, they were good people to grow up with. And they, they separated and uh, remarried both very well. Most of my family is remarried, um, except for my wife, who's never been married before. Everybody's been married before in my family. Uh, I thought you'd like to hear that. Um, anyway, and I, I doesn't matter where I went to school until I went to a school in south, south of London, which was founded um, all those years ago, 400 years ago, by Shakespeare and Marlowe's greatest leading actor, a man called Edward Allen. And um, he had a very good career uh, as an actor. Obviously, he was very good. Um, and he made a lot of money. And he hadn't been a very good boy in life, like most of us. Um, so when he got to a certain age, he thought he'd better fix things up with him upstairs. Um, and so he founded a school for poor boys in South London, which was a charity school. That blossomed, that school, and became now two what we call public schools. You don't call them that, you call them the other thing. Uh, private schools um, for rich people who could afford it now. It's completely changed its spots. But when I went there, it was shortly after the Second World War, and it was um, owned by the state, so we didn't have to pay for it, so I could go there. Okay, I went there at the age of 15, for very late, um, for reasons I need, needn't go into. And there was a young, new young English master there um, who was very keen to revive the tradition of doing Shakespeare in that school. Because um, they somehow let it lack. With that background, they still weren't doing it anyway. Um, so he revived, he did a production of Julius Caesar by William Shakespeare, modern dress, outdoors, um, very innovative, and uh, I'd never thought about acting before in my life, uh, but because I was good at reading out loud with my little brother, and uh, I could tell stories quite well, um, I was chosen to play the part of Mark Antony. I don't know how many people know the play, but it's a wonderful part, wonderful, very sort of big part. And, and uh, that was great, but the next, that didn't do it. The next term was uh, a Gilbert and Sullivan opera. Do you do them here? Do you have Gilbert and Sullivan opera here? Uh, we, do it, we do in Canada. You do? <laughs> we do in Canada. So I'll, I'll address the rest of this to you then. <laughs> <laughs> no, and then it's um, as a, 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 a comic, comic, comedian character with a, a very famous patter song, like Danny Kay used to do. Anyway, I did that, and for the first and probably the last time in my life, I, I knew what it was to hold an audience in the palm of my hand. It was simply, it, it was, it was, it was a, adrenaline, it was, it was magic juice. Uh, and I went home and I told my parents I wanted to do this, and uh, instead of, in those days it was very unfashionable uh, to go into the theater, but they, instead of being appalled, they were thrilled to be, they had a 15-year-old who knew what he wanted to do. And so they kicked me off and encouraged me. And that's, that t English teacher went on to found what is a very important institution in Great Britain now called the National Youth Theatre. 
in which people from all branches, kids from all branches of life, go there and spend maybe a year doing productions, learning what theatre is all about, what it's like acting, what it's like cooperating with other people, and which is what it's all about, as you know. And uh, it's a very, very thriving thing. And, I, he, and he founded that, and he is entirely responsible. I didn't go to that. I was the first to leave our school to become an actor. Um, but I uh, owe my entire life, whatever it's added up to, to that one man. I'll quickly fill you in. I'm, uh, I've been married twice. The first time was to a very eminent actress now called, she's a dame, Dame Eileen Atkins, and I'm now married to an actress uh, in, in England called Isla Blair. And I've been married to her for 48 years. I have a son of 44. No, I don't. I have a son of 46 um, and two granddaughters. And, uh, and I'm still working, and I'm 81 years old, and I'm bloody proud of it. <laughs> 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 Cue for applause. So, so what brings you into film? Okay, film. Um, I started off at the Royal Shakespeare Company, okay, which I'm still with, incidentally. Um, I've done 14 seasons with them um, in my, during my life. That's about a, a third of my career. Um, and I'm in, ba I'm, I'm, I'm in Brooklyn at the moment. Uh, taking part in four plays which are being done by William Shakespeare by the Royal Shakespeare Company. So it's very convenient for me to come over this weekend when, as you see, I'm not working at the, in BAM at uh, Brooklyn Academy of Music. Um, uh, I suppose the start of... What was the exact question? I, I oh, just film. How did oh, you decide? Yeah, from theatre yeah, okay. to film. Okay. Yeah. I don't, the first one, I left the Royal Shakespeare Company in 1959. <laughs> um, I promise you it was 1959. <laughs> and went to what's called the Royal Court Theatre, which was the theatre where all the innovative plays were done. I was very lucky to get into there and did a couple of plays with Albert Finney, who some of you might have... Oh, yes. I, I oh, hope yes. you've heard of him. Um, uh, and various things. And that company uh, at the Royal Court was headed by a director film director called Tony Richardson, uh, who started, of course, in theatre himself. And he, his first big venture into film was a film called Tom Jones, which is an adaptation of a 19th, an 18th century novel, very funny, very funny, which Albert starred in. And he used all the actors from that company, who were not terribly famous, but all terribly good, really good, solid actors. And uh, it was a tremendous experience, and I was in that. And, that's the thing that kicked me off. Now that's the, the only film I've made, I've made a lot of films, or I've been in a lot of films, um, that's the only one I can really call, really truly call a legendary film. It's, if you haven't seen it, I beg you to, to, to get it. Show it on your, get it out. It is so entertaining and, and uh, terribly, terribly English and completely ridiculous and wonderful. And uh, that was the first film and the first villain I played. And that set, because I think I was quite good in it, I, that set me on the track of doing villains, which has been the <laughs> most of my career, as you may have noticed. <laughs> Though I do play a few nicer people these days. Now I've, I've got old and mature <laughs> and, Excellent. And, and doddery. <laughs> Excellent. So you enter into your film career, and eventually, of course, along comes uh, a couple little films, one in particular called Star Wars. Yeah. How did that? How did you get involved with uh, with the wars? Well, I have to tell you, it's pure. Uh, uh, what's the word? Nepotism. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. 
Uh, I have a very modest home in London, um, in South London, what we call a semi-detached, uh, an ordinary 1930s house. But I happen to live for about 10 of them. Um, next door is a family called Watts. And uh, Jeremy Bullock, Baba Fett, mm -hmm. uh, was the brother of the man who owned the house next door. That wasn't it. The man who owned the house next door um, was called Robert Watts, and he was executive producer on Star Wars. Um, and he said, there's a bit, there's a little part in it. Would you like to be in it? I said, of course I'd like to be in it. <laughs> I'd like to do any work, please. Right. And, and, and so I went along and did this week's work, which we, we were, um, uh, we were aware of the uh, fantastic success of the first one, because because we, None of you here are old enough to remember, but the first time, the f when Star Wars started, the first Star Wars, and those aeroplanes came down between the rocks, and, and that stuff started to happen, we were completely and utterly bollocked. It, it, we, we couldn't believe we were seeing such wonderful stuff, which is why the latest Star Wars, in my opinion, is terribly, terribly good, but we've seen it all before. And, um, uh, so, so I was enchanted to see the last one, Harrison coming back, limping his way through it, and, uh, yeah. and, and <laughs> Princess Leia. <laughs> uh, I, but anyway, that, that's what I felt. And I was in that, and uh, we had five days of some fun doing. We had no idea it was going to be this, the franchise was going to be such a success. We just knew this was going to be the second Star Wars film. And we all, us lot, um, and, and by second Star Wars film, you mean the best Star Wars film? <laughs> well, actually, seriously, because I'm in it so little, I can say this. I agree with you. Mm -hmm. I think it's the best of the first three. And um, because it really is about something, isn't it? Star Wars 2, uh, The Empire Strikes Back. It really is about something. It might more than The Force and all that. Now, anyway, I've only seen it twice. Um, then the next thing that happened as regards Robert Watts, but I was then, of course, known to the, uh, the family in America which makes that sort of film, um, was Indiana Jones coming up. And he said, I'm going to put you up for the German sergeant. Wow, what? Fantastic. And I was put up for the German sergeant, and I went along and talked to them. And they were very nice. Um, and I came home and my agent said, I'm afraid uh, they don't want you for that. Um, it's going to go to Michael Byrne. And I said, oh, I absolutely understand. He's got the face. He's the one in the corner at the bottom of the, the poster. But he's got that really craggy, horrible face. A lovely man, I have to say. <laughs> but, uh, and he said, I'm sorry you didn't get that, Julian. Um, but um, they, they want to see you for Walter Donovan. Well, when they picked me out of the drain, uh, I said, really? Yeah, so you've got to go along and, and pretend to be American. And, um, oh, okay. They didn't make me read. Um, Stephen was there. Didn't make me read. They just talked to me. And I put on this phony American accent. Um, I had to do it off the top of my head, you know. Uh, very bad. But the fact he could hear that maybe one day I would be able to do it. 
And that's how I got Walter Donovan in, in the best film I've ever been associated with, um, except maybe for Tom Jones in a different way. And that's, that's how that particular one happened. Excellent. You seem to, uh, to have taken to it well and, and appreciate the opportunities. Uh, well, famously, uh, Sir Alec Guinness, you know, he, he had some troubles with coming to terms with doing that type of work, but you seem to have embraced it and appreciate it, yes? Yeah, old Alec. Oh, <laughs> the actor who could do anything. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a little story about Alec and Star Wars. Maybe you know it. Uh, a few years after, a couple of years after Empire came out, um, he was walking down Fifth Avenue in New York, and a, a lady with a little girl uh, said to him, excuse me, Sir Alec, I'm interrupting your privacy, but um, I, I just must say, um, my little girl, she's eight, and she's seen Star Wars six times, and it's be thrilling to get your autograph. Um, and he said, six times. He said, I will give you my autograph, as long as you promise she never sees Star Wars again. <laughs> but wasn't he great in it? He, he was fantastic. <laughs> Anything he touched pretty much was, <laughs> was fantastic. And he did, he did well, of course. I mean, he, he, he had a piece of that film. Not many people did have a piece of the film. And um, when he died, he no, before he died, he left his piece to his son who was an aspiring actor, not a very good one, and uh, was a rather unhappy boy because his career wasn't working. So he got the concession. Um, I'll tell you another story about concessions. <laughs> Sir Lawrence Olivier, who some of you might remember, was running the Old Vic Theatre in London, which became the National Theatre. And he was in the queue in the green room uh, getting food. And um, in those days, we smoked everywhere. and. Um, uh, he was offered by a young man next to him a cigarette. And he said, no, uh, thank you very much. Um, I'll smoke my own. And he said, oh, what are those? He said, well, these new ones have just come out. Uh, they're called Olivier's. And uh, that's what the young man said to him, Olivier. And he said, oh, yes, I don't think I want those. Um, uh, because... Uh, you see, there's this concession, and uh, if you smoke these, you get coupons. And Olivia said, with these, you get parts. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Excellent. Got, what's the next one? Uh, Am I in the middle of a question? No. Because I do natter no, on. You answered. <laughs> uh, does anybody in the audience have any questions? Yes, sir. He was he just kind of curmudgeon -y about Star Wars, or no, did he, he loathe it? He loathed it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as he intimated earlier on. He, he, uh, he didn't give him any trouble, because he had the great thing which all good actors have. If you accept a part, do it, and don't grumble about it. Um, I remember Paul Schofield telling me exactly the same thing. And um, uh, he, 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 did, he didn't like doing it, but of course he did it to the best of his ability, and was terrific in it. It's, it's amazing to be so into your craft that even though you get a role that makes you world famous mm -hmm. and loved worldwide, you still can't deal with it because it's, yeah, at, at your heart, it's, 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 
it's not, not there. yeah yeah it's not there it's amazing uh, but i think he did it for the money frankly mm -hmm. uh, the money for for him was considerable the money for us was terrible i got 250 pounds for five days work wow and, yeah wow uh, however these conventions and you guys have made a very profitable job in the end. <laughs> so thank you very much indeed. When did you start doing conventions? Oh, quite recently in my life, um, about 10 years ago. When you get older, even if you're quite successful as I am, uh, obviously the parts run out. Think of the number of films with an old man in them. There might be one. There might be two, but uh, even more difficult for women, of course. Uh, and so you start to look for alternative things to do. I did a one-man show for many years, which I knew I could do without anybody's help, didn't need any lighting, nothing, nothing, just me on the stage doing whatever I did. And then I, somebody said, why don't you start doing conventions? And I went, oh, do do conventions? I'm far too posh for that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and they said, well, try one. And I remember having gone to it, ringing my wife from the station. It was a very small one. And it shows how excited I was this tiny sum I mentioned, I rang around and said, I've got 700 pounds in my pocket, now in money. <laughs> and that's when I began to realize that uh, they could be profitable. I have to be honest, I was very snooty about them at the beginning. Uh, I thought, what are these people doing here? Why are they being so, you know, Star Wars? Because Star Wars was Star Wars to me. Uh, and then I started to realize what you're all about. And at the very least, it's a hobby with you. And it's a fair enough bloody hobby, much more interesting than getting train numbers, which is what I used to do when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, but it's a far more serious business with most of you. And um, uh, particularly this hardcore here who stayed late to listen to me rabbiting on. Uh, it's a, it's a, not a life's work, but it's something you think about a great deal and you pay a lot of attention to and you study it. And uh, that delights me now. And I, I delight in seeing the costumes. So they're so inventive. So look at this woman here. Yeah. So, so absolutely lovely. And there was a chap who came as Baba Fett this morning to me who wouldn't take his helmet off, bless his heart. <laughs> I got it off in the end. Uh, but, uh, 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 and uh. here he is. Here he is, and and he 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 something a part of his costume dropped off. I'd have said this if you weren't here, and I was really upset about that because I knew he'd made his costume, and I searched the whole of the, the, this place here to find the man, and I couldn't find him. But thank God, later on, the girl who's helping me suddenly spotted him, and he's got his bit back. Use a better glue this time. <laughs> You are so not your characters. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, called acting. <laughs> <laughs> well, last year uh, here at the same convention here last year, uh, Graham Revel. Yeah. It was his second convention ever. Okay. And I, I moderated a panel with him as well. Oh, but great. you could see he was in that place you were. Like, what is this? What like, is what's that? happening? Well, like, just, and now, of course, I mean, even only 10 years ago, well, not nearly as elaborate as this, or so many of them. There are so many now, it's becoming a, a really prosperous business for a lot of people. That's why people put them on, because the, the, the regulators, the organizers here make a great deal of money. And also, 
they attract people who will work for them for nothing, the volunteers, who are simply bloody brilliant. You're, everyone's so anxious to help you and to make it all right, to make it right for you and to make it right for us. It, it, so it, it becomes, and they put you in a very nice hotel, we're down the road at the Hilton, uh, Hilton, the, the little Hilton, yeah, yeah. and it's very comfortable, and uh, they pay our per diems and, uh, and bring us here. And uh, we don't know to pay the fare, you know. And, uh, and then you give us some money, and that's the best bit. <laughs> and hopefully some good times and conversation and it, and it in between. And it really is nice, you know, in, in the, the lines, talking to people, seeing why they're interested and what, what was the particular thing that they've come to your line for and uh, anecdotes about what I've done and ask them what they've done. And, and it, it, it's, a, it's a very pleasant experience. Especially when it's generational. I mean, you're meeting <sighs> grandparents, parents and kids probably, yes? six-year-olds come up and they want a picture of me in Star Wars. Now, <laughs> I mean, what a franchise. I can see, I think I might have said this to you, um, I can see this franchise going on for another hundred years. Not making more films, but the films that we have already. They are so iconic as films because it started off in the way I talked about earlier on being so exciting, their, their progress and their use of actors and their use of materials and things has been absolutely amazing. And the fact that, five, that a six or seven year old will come and ask, say, you're General Veers, aren't you? When he can hardly speak English, because he he's so young, um, is indicative of an enormous exciting franchise. And uh, I'm not honored, they were damn lucky to get me, but I was yeah. damn, <laughs> I'm very pleased to be associated with it. It's sort of the new mythology, right? Yeah, right, you know? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But of course, since then, a lot more films like it have come along. Not, you know what I mean by like it. Yes, yes. The great futuristic movies with the extraordinary equipment and, and ways of flying and, and all those things. Mm -hmm. I and mean, even Thunderbirds. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thunderbirds, uh, yes. No, they were a bit before, <laughs> weren't they? Um, uh, and so modern audiences are used to that sort of thing. But the fact is that when a new Star Wars film comes out, <coughs> people flock to it because they want to see what the next thing has happened in the Star Wars saga. Mm. And I, you know, Indiana Jones is they said it's going to do another one, but it hasn't got, and I think in many ways, it's sort of better than Star Wars in a, in a sort of way, but it doesn't have that sort of following. It, that's, the franchise does have a following, a very good one, but not like Star Wars, which remains phenomenal. Oh, except for Game of Thrones, which I Excel Excellent segue, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saving you trouble. There you go. <laughs> um, which is, we had no idea, <clears throat> did any of us. Only the people who started it off knew it was gonna go, and they put every damn thing they had in their bodies into making it the success it is, and all their ideas, the writers of the people who started it all off, uh, have been so successful. It is so brilliantly done, so expertly filmed, expertly cast, costumed, period, uh, uh, except no period, that's the brilliance of it, no period. It could be 3,000 years in the future, it could be 500,000 years in the past, 
It, it could be any time at all. With those wonderful artifacts all over the set, different sorts of architecture and different sort of cups and plates and things. The only thing they don't have is the telephone, but they do have a jackdaw uh, or whatever it is. What's the bird that flies? Uh, what well, raven? Yeah, raven. Ravens, yeah, yeah, yes. raven. Um, and they don't have electricity. Okay, that could be three hundred years, three thousand years in the future. What we're doing to the world now, uh, it could well be destroyed and have to start again. It's a most wonderful concept and wonderfully done and very brave. You know that first ser series when Sean Bean was the star of the series. He was Mr. Big of the series, the only nice man in the whole thing. And they <laughs> kill him off in episode nine. Now that's brave. They had the courage to do that and to hope that the audiences would have been caught, caught by the fact that John, Sean was in it, as well as everything else, would remain with it and see, well, what the hell happens now he's gone? And it, that's worked. And so uh, at the end of each series, we all go to the writers and say, are we in the next one? <laughs> <laughs> and I can tell you, I am in series, the one you're just about to see. Wonderful. <laughs> That's great to hear. As, as serious as the tone of the show is, and uh, you know, as seriously as it's taken when making it, I'm sure, is it fun? Yes. You have fun? Yeah, yeah, we do. Not just like fun because it's such a quality made show, but do you just have fun? Yeah, because not only do they choose very good actors, so it means you're dealing with the, the mostly uh, British actors, interesting. I think there are only three Americans wow. in it. Um, Peter Dinklage being the main one, uh, mm -hmm. such a brilliant actor. Wonderful. I, I can hardly watch him, he's so wonderful. And, and uh, what was the question? Is it fun? Oh, is it fun? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah because, they're all, because they're all good. Don't we find it in all professions? All the people who are good at the things you do, like I'm sure you all are, you enjoy doing the thing that you do. And so you spread that goodness and that enjoyment among other people. And if they're enjoying it too, you have fun. So between takes on, and they work you bloody hard, I'm here to tell you. You might get 25 takes on something. They don't worry about um, how much film they've got because they don't need any film anymore. It's all done digitally, as we know. Uh, and so might go 25 takes, and you sometimes go insane. I don't think I can ever say that line again. Uh, I've forgotten what the line is anyway after, after 15 takes. Uh, they work you very hard, but between and in the lunch times and all that, we really enjoy each other's company because we respect each other. I think that's, that's the same in any business, isn't it? If you respect each other, yeah, absolutely. you'll enjoy yourself. When you came on to Game of Thrones, yes. did you have to deal with any Star Wars or Indiana Jones fanness from any of your co-stars? No. no. No, not one? No. Well, did, what? I don't know, just that that's cool, you know? Did, did, did any of them, were any of them excited that you that were I was in Star Wars. Wars? Yeah, did they ask you about it? Was anybody curious? Nobody? It came up, it comes up now and again, but they're all such good actors. They've all done such wonderful things anyway. They wouldn't be at all impressed by me being in Star Wars. I don't <laughs> know about that. Peter this Dinklage. audience may disagree with that <laughs> statement. Peter Dinklage has never done Star Wars, and he didn't ask me about it. <laughs> this is true. No, you know I'm very proud of being in Star Wars, and uh, it comes up in conversation. Often comes up in conversation, Star Wars, right. uh, among people who are in the theatre and people who aren't in the theatre, it's because it's a it's a world topic now. 
Star Wars, a world topic. It's bigger than film. It's its own thing it, it, almost. Absolutely. You've you got know? it. You've right. got it. Absolutely. It's, it's created. Wherever its own you go, um, uh, I've only been recognized more for playing a very famous political figure um, uh, since the Second World War um, because everybody knew who this person was. Um, but apart from that, I'm more recognized as General Veers than I am as anything else. That's it. This young man had yes. a question. Yes, you have a question? Uh, today is the death and birthday of Shakespeare. We, we think it's the birthday. Yes, yeah. Um, he's no, we think it's the death day. We think it is. Okay. We're not sure. He's just wondering what your favorite aspect of Shakespeare is. I guess, like, your favorite play, your favorite work of his. Are you familiar with them? Yes, I am. Yes. Well, one, I my favorite comedy is Twelfth Night. Uh, and my favorite drama is Coriolanus. Um, but I, except for very rare exceptions, I just think he's, because of a, not, this is not received opinion. You see, I'm struggling to find the right answer, like President Obama does. Uh, but doesn't he do it wonderfully? He doesn't, he never allows himself to be rushed. He, he actually works out his answer first. Okay, Shakespeare, I played King Lear, I played Hamlet, I've, I've done mo most of the big parts now, and the big supporting parts like Henry IV, and I'm now playing John of Gaunt in Brooklyn. That's um, the second most famous speech in Shakespeare. And um, so I'm very familiar, and the reason I worship him is because he gives me such help to play the parts. He writes fantastic parts, wonderful parts, even women's parts. He writes are wonderful. How the hell does he know how Cleopatra feels, or how Viola feels, or, or Imogen? How did he, and he does know. Now let me tell you a thing about knowing how people feel. I was playing Henry the Fourth at Stratford about 15 years ago, and Prince Charles that we talked about, um, no more than 15 years ago. Oh God, Julian, uh, 1984, <laughs> um, and Prince Charles came to see it, and we were talking afterwards. He is the Prince of Wales. In the play Henry IV, there is a Prince of Wales who becomes Henry V later, for them as you don't know. And uh, I was talking with Prince Charles and he said, Shakespeare, yes, sir, yes, yes. Oh, isn't he wonderful? Yes, 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 yes. He said, yes, but think about it, Julian. The Prince of Wales is only Prince of Wales or he's king or he's dead. How did Shakespeare know how he feels? Now that's the only man in the world who can assess how accurate Shakespeare was. And that's 400, 500 years ago. Wow. Uh, so that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a, he writes fantastic parts for women, wonderful parts for women, and of course wonderful parts for men, who the deeper you go into it, the more layered, uh, quite extraordinary he is. Sometimes at rehearsal we go, how did he find that? How did he find that? What's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. How did he, you say that to a girl, she'd fall over. Yet your will. That's why I love Shakespeare. Or for all, I mean, I could go on for hours. Or the way he writes, mostly in verse, 
okay, you're not leaving yet, uh, mostly in verse. He wrote in verse on purpose. So when people try to act him as if it wasn't in verse, they miss the point. Because he can write very good prose. He wrote jolly good prose. But when he wrote in verse, he did it on purpose because he wanted to make certain points. So if you obey the verse without going, da 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 but observe those rhythms, but do observe the rhythms with it sounds more natural than if it was in prose. That's the great, no one has managed to conquer the verse in drama more than Shakespeare, no one. And I don't think ever will. Have you ever done the uh, Stratford Festival in Niagara? <coughs> no. Okay, I have to ask. I'm yeah, from no, there. I, I'm no, from I Toronto. I really would have loved to have done that season. Right. I knew that, that festival. I knew, I've known quite a lot of people go over and do it, and, right. uh, and they've absolutely loved doing it. Um, funnily enough, only yesterday I was having lunch with a girl who used to be part of the Stratford Festival, an English actress. Okay. I had lunch with her in New York and, uh, three days ago. Uh, and we had happy memories. I've been to see things there. Okay. I did a film in Toronto, and right. um, that was with Bob Dylan. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Terrible film. <laughs> <laughs> what it, film was that? It's called Hearts of Fire. Okay, I don't know. No. Okay. Do you right. know it? Terrible, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> well, I asked for... I'm, I'm here to yeah. tell you. I'm, okay, I'm spilling beans here. Bob Dylan was one of the most unpleasant people I've ever met in my life. He completely, I know it was a new genre for him, being in the film, but he shouldn't have taken it if he didn't think he could take it on. It was a film about an aging, uh, you remember this, about an aging singer who'd been very popular and was trying to get back. Uh, very good subject, very good subject indeed. Uh, Rupert Everett was in it, playing his friend. And it was, should have been very good. He was absolutely horrible. He wouldn't learn his lines. He, would, he didn't know what a move was. He, he had no sense of any sort of motivation. And, and the director was a very good director, a man called Richard Mark. And, and he, he was so good. And he had nothing to cut together at the end. He didn't have a film to cut together. So he had to make it all up. And actually, that film killed Richard Markin. Two, two years after, two months after he finished um, wow. cutting, it, cutting it, he passed away. Wow. <coughs> At the age of about 48 or... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a diversion, wasn't it? <laughs> nice, yeah, a little <laughs> bit off. Uh, so you guys know, what I mentioned is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, in the Niagara region, up uh, just you know across the border, is a long-running festival, the Stratford Festival. And many, many fine actors come over from England, from Canada, the States, to perform Shakespeare at this festival. Richard Pl um, uh, Plummer has played there. Very often. Christopher Plummer. Christopher. Yeah, uh, William Shatner's done the show. Many, many fine actors. If you ever get a chance to go up, it's That's amazing. Yeah. Lovely theatre anyway. It, 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 wonderful setting, rather like Stratford-on-Avon in England, which is our Shakespeare theatre. Uh, do we have any more questions from anybody? Yes? Ian McDermott, have you worked with him? Never worked with Ian, but I know him quite well. Fine actor. Better Leah than I was. I was furious. <laughs> <laughs> a fine actor, and his partner is a lovely fellow too. Have you met him? No, no. You've seen him, obviously, in this. You know that uh, he got a, after the first Star Wars film, when it was so successful, um, and there were no royalties except for Alec Guinness, that he was given 
an enormous cash payment after the first Star Wars film. In thanks for making, for contributing to make that film so good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Did you get that? Yeah. Yes, okay. absolutely. Thank you. Did you hear that? Yes, yeah. For me, I think for most actors, there are two sorts of wonderful actor. There's the one where you go, oh, God, I want to do that one day. I want to do that. I, I, will I ever be able to achieve that? I don't know. And the other actor is, oh, forget it. I mean, it, it's so brilliant. I could never get anywhere near it. And that actor for me was Laurence Olivier. Um, uh, he for me was a stunning, shining star of an actor. Uh, he, he glittered in my eyes. And I, I was sort of in love with him in a way, or in love with his work. And, and so I, whatever he did, what, even if it was rather bad, I thought he was simply fantastic in it. And that's, that's the best one that I've ever, ever, ever worked with. One I don't understand, and I don't know how he ever gets there, is Mark Rylance. Um, have you seen Bridge of Sighs? Bridge, Bridge of, of Sighs, I mean. Yeah. You seen? Yeah. Oh, what an actor. He, he ran the Globe Theatre in England, which was founded by your Sam Wanamaker. Uh, wonderful film actor, you may remember him. Uh, he founded the Globe Theatre, which is a reconstruction of Shakespeare's Globe Theatre, absolutely accurately done. And uh, Mark Rylance ran that for some time and played a lot, quite a lot of parts there. I, and he remains for me, I must have seen it 10 times in my life, the best Cleopatra I have ever seen, in, ever seen. And, and the best uh, Olivia in Twelfth Night. Uh, uh, he, he, can, he can play anything. I don't know if you ever saw a play called Jerusalem. Mark's about, oh, I don't know, he's about that tall from the floor. Not a big man. He was a giant in that production. And he, had his, he was down to his singlet in it. He had tattoos and things all over. He was a giant. He persuaded us that he was a giant of a man. Very, very powerful indeed. He can do anything. And he, his work defeats me. I simply don't know how he gets there. No? Amazing. Yeah. I think we have time for one more question. If anybody has anything they would like to ask, are we good? The, sir, that was. Sorry, do you? Yeah. Oh, I just wondered, you uh, what's your favorite filming location? Filming location. Anything ever quite adventurous? Was Indiana Jones all filmed in California? The whole thing? None of it was. None of it. Okay. Only the um, the motorbike sequence. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> That sequence was put in instead of another sequence, uh, which a great friend of mine played the leading part in it, and he was completely cut out of the film. And that, uh, do you remember when Indiana Jones does that Zeppelin and, and, and the, the, with the airplane? Well, there was a long, long sequence of, uh, of, of clever flying and, and, and the, this German pilot trying to get him and all that stuff. They cut that. Um, so my friend was completely eliminated from the film, which was oh. <laughs> really irritating, <laughs> and put in that fantastic motorbike sequence instead, which of course was much better, was much better. The most beautiful location I've ever done was in, was in Game of Thrones um, in 
outside Dubrovnik. There's an area there which is so beautiful that uh, you, you cry when you see it, of, of countryside and rocks, and, and it's, it's almost mystical. It's, it's so glorious. And we did an exterior banquet scene uh, in, in that particular location. And uh, it, I've been in beautiful, I, I did a, a German television series once, um, which took place in what was then Yugoslavia. Um, and it was still under communist rule, of course, and there were lots of places where people weren't allowed to go. But we went to all of them to do the filming, because it was going to be good for, for Yugoslavia uh, publicly and all that. And um, I saw some fantastic stuff then, absolutely fantastic. The wonderful thing about filming is that you do go to great locations like that, but the problem is you never get a real feeling for the country because you're there to work. You're not there to go and look around and meet people and make friends. You hope you will if it's a long enough time. You'll, you'll make acquaintances and hopefully get into people's homes. Um, but usually it's the, it's the countryside that, get, that gets you. So I, when, I, when I think about um, Dubrovnik, I think about that um, before they bombed it. Uh, and then they rebuilt it, which are uh, remarkable. Locations are wonderful. Uh, Game of Thrones, just outside uh, Belfast, where we film in, in Northern Ireland. Glorious English countryside. That green, that lush thing, which is so particular to England and the, the British Isles. Uh, so that's nice. <laughs> I cannot thank you enough Please. for sharing these stories with us. Wasn't that amazing? Uh, Mr. Julian Glover, give it up. Uh, Please, go say hello. He's out signing autographs. Get a picture. No, it's not anymore. We've closed. Oh, yes. We're, uh, Anybody coming tomorrow? I think most of these people have been to see me anyway. You'll be. You'll be. Hi. Yeah? That's yes. excellent. And, and they, they paid that. You haven't. Um, <laughs> he's in my hotel. Uh, Wait, aren't you from the UK, too? Yeah. He's <laughs> right. He looks so Scottish, doesn't he? But he's not at all. <laughs> that great tough Scot. You mentioned, sorry, in the beginning, let me ask quick, uh, you said you're English and Scottish, like Scottish heritage. My, my father was okay, Scottish. Right. My father was Scottish. Yeah. Very, very nice. And Excellent. We're, we're, we were born in Scotland, but we now live down there. I have a lot of family in Edinburgh yeah, still yeah, yeah, since yeah. before they moved to Canada. We've still got a lot of cousins back there, yeah. though, so it's uh, wonderful. Well, yeah. You haven't been to Scotland. I've only been to Scotland. I haven't been to England, but stunning, like just the most beautiful I think I've think ever so? seen. I was just in Edinburgh, but it... What about Edinburgh? The uh, second favorite city in the world. It was... Edinburgh. Yeah, it yeah. was unbelievable. Like the old town, the grass market. You carry on. Oh. We're going to have a chat Sorry. now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for coming, everybody. Greatly appreciated. it.